First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll jump back into it. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for, your, for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so our last study last week, as I already said, uh, we were introduced to the importance of submission, and specifically this type of submission that we're to have to our governing authority, to human institutions, that rule over us. Again, that was in verses 13 through 17. Now, in these verses, in 18 through 25, Peter's going to address to servants, emphasizing again this principle of submission. And as we talked about last week, we have this bad uh, misconception that, that submission is a weakness, that it's a bad thing. But no, in Jesus, there is no weakness. In Jesus exemplified submission. In reality, submission is the opposite of weakness. It takes a whole lot of strength to submit. And as Peter is going to encourage us this morning, that it's not just a submission to the good and gentle, right? Like me. No, I'm just kidding. It's submitting to those that are harsh, right? Submitting to those that are harsh. And that's hard for us to do. But in the spirit of God, we are able. We are able and Peter's going to tell us that when we do that, when we patiently suffer, when it comes to those that are above us that treat us harshly, when we are doing good, okay, you have to be doing good, living righteously, morally, abiding by the word of God, and you suffer for that sake, he says it is commendable before God. Commendable, this word is only used twice in the Bible. You want to know where? Obviously here. And the other one is still here <laughs> in verse 19 and verse 20. So the only two times that this word commendable is found in the word of God is in verse 19 and in verse 20. And we're going to talk about it in a minute and expound on that word a little bit more. But basically it means to find favor. It talks about grace. So in verse 18, Peter says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And now this word that Peter is using here. It, it portrays a slave. Now, typically the type of Greek word that Peter would use for slave is doulos, but he's not using that word here. He's using a different Greek word, which is oiketai, which it, it, again is translated as slave, but a type of slave where sometimes they were free, right? Where they chose, it's almost like a bond servant, where they chose and had the choice to be submissive. Now, again, if you weren't here last week, to submit means to subject to, 
Uh, it signifies a to place oneself under subjection to render oneself subordinate. It's a military word, right? You put yourself under rank, under another rank. Okay, again, it's not a weakness. It's just a simple organization. Now, for example, yesterday, you were paintballing. Remember, we were trying to come up with teams. Now, when I just told you to do it on your own, right, and figure it out, how well did that go? It was pretty awful, right? It was pretty awful. Like, you needed somebody to just take the lead and tell you what to do and how to do it, right? So you guys kind of, in a sense, submitted under the rank of my position, and it went really well and simply, right? It was organized, I hope. <laughs> it was a lot better than what you guys did. But that's the idea. And so the, the simple idea that God has told, you know, okay, well, first, kids are to be submissive to their parents, right? Because then there's order, there's honor, there's respect. Then, uh, then there's submission from the wife to the husband, right? But the husband doesn't take that and, and abuse it, right? And then the husband is submissive to who? God, right? And as I am submissive to God and my wife is submissive to me, Man, that is the way that God has designed structure of the family, of relationship. And it goes so, so well. And because I'm submissive to God, I don't take advantage of her submission to me. And we both understand that we are equals. Okay, just a submission doesn't mean that you're lesser than somebody else. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that at all. We are both sinners. We're both the worst people. <laughs> as simple as that. So Peter here is addressing to servants. Okay, somebody who uh, has a master over them. Now, for you and I, we want to be really considered servants. So how does this apply to us? It can apply. It's just an idea that we can get that we can apply in different cir circumstances. So for instance, like if you have a teacher, okay, somebody who just is above you. Um, if you have a boss, how many of you guys work and have a boss? Okay four of you. That's great. <laughs> then some of you, if not all of you, at one point in your life are going to get a job and you're going to have a boss, right? And you are not, and, and a lot of you will not have the blessing that I have right now, right? Where my boss is good and gentle, right? I'm saying this because he's over there and he might listen to this later. Um, but no, like I have a good boss. But even before this, I knew what it meant to have a harsh boss. So I know the difference between having a harsh boss and a good and gentle boss. So this is good for you to understand now because all of you have teachers. All of you have some, somebody that's over you. And then at one point in your life, you will have a boss. And you will learn and you will come to find out that not all of them are good and gentle. That you will suffer some type of persecution, some type of harsh treatment, some type of mistreatment because you do right and you follow the Lord and you will not be treated fairly. That's what happens in the world. So, it's something that we can learn right now. We can learn right now. Now, submission is something that all of us should just be learning and doing uh, as followers of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. That's at the core, again, of Christianity, is to simply follow Jesus to follow in his footsteps and to submit and to surrender our lives to him. Listen, and if we do that, everything else that Peter's encouraging us with when it comes to the governing authorities, when it comes to parents, when it comes to 
our masters, it's going to be a whole lot easier because outside of Christ, you're going to want to rebel, right? You're going to want to revile back, right? You're going to want to talk back. You're going to want to stand up and slap somebody in the face, right? But the Holy Spirit allows us to submit to people that treat us harshly and wrongly. It is only through the Holy Spirit. So denying ourselves is at the heart of submission. Again, if you follow Jesus and you deny yourself and you take up your cross. And in verse 18, again, Peter says that we're to be submissive to our masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, I don't have to define what good is. You guys understand that and what gentle is. But harsh here, I want you to understand, harsh, this term harsh is one from which we get our word scoliosis. How many of you guys know that word? Scoliosis, right? That's where that is derived uh, because it comes from the Greek word of harsh. The term means crooked, and thus it's used obviously, obviously for the disease of a distorted spine. Harsh masters are those who are not good and gentle. They may be unethical, or maybe they're even dishonest. They may be like an example that's a perfect example is Laban. In the Old Testament, how many of you guys remember Laban? Good, a few of us, right? Who did not keep his promises. Remember, when Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, what did he do? (laughs) Yeah, well, before that, the father-in-law was like, hey, well, if you want to marry her, it wasn't just like, yes, you have my blessing. No, work for me for seven years, and then you can have my blessing, right? But then there's that whole scandal of, I won't get into. He eventually married Leah, the other undesirable sister in Jacob's eyes. And yeah, it's such a weird story. I I, this first thing I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, like, how did that happen? And uh, so then what it, and so Laban was being sneaky and dishonest, right? So then what happened? Jacob's like, okay, well, I guess I still want to marry Rachel. And so what, what did Laban say? Well, you're going to have to work another seven years. Now, isn't that being mistreated unfairly, right? And and understand this too. When Jacob served him and worked for him, he did it well. I think often when we get mistreated or we have a harsh master, we don't always want to do things well, right? We only want to do it well when somebody is good and gentle towards us. But that is not the Holy Spirit that's given to us. That's not how we act. That's not what we do. That is not the example that Jesus Christ set for us. We do things well into the best of our ability. We don't slack off. We don't become lazy. It's not dependent on who is above you. Okay? It's dependent on Christ. That we do all things with excellence. That we And anything we do, whether eating or drinking, that we do it for the glory of God. And to glorify God, we have to do things well and diligently. We have to show up. We have to be faithful. So that's an example of Laban, right? He, he was dishonest. He lied. Now, a, another harsh uh, master would be somebody who's unfair in their accusations, their punishments or rewards. There are those who, uh, against whom we would naturally rebel apart from our salvation, apart from having the enabling power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, when I was... Um, one of my first jobs, no, it wasn't my first job. It was one of my first jobs. I worked at Quiznos for a while. And my boss mistreated me. 
in a way that he had a preference for other people over me. And so I understood what it meant to be under somebody who would treat me unfairly, but it wasn't a, a, it didn't give me a right to do things bad, to slack off, right? So I still, I still did things well because that was the example of Christ. And as we found out a couple weeks ago that we do things with honorable conduct, right? Because what does it say in verse, um, somebody find it for me. In verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So you do good works. You have honorable conduct. One, because of Christ, which is most important, but two, people are watching, right? People are watching. And that's one thing that I came to, came to find out as I was working under this boss that I wasn't able to please him, and I was okay. But I knew that other people were watching. Other people were watching my conduct and how I would react and how I would handle things. So we have to learn to be submissive not only to the good and gentle, Peter's telling us, but also to the harsh, the ones who are unfair. And listen, guys, life is just unfair. Have you guys noticed that yet? That apart from Christ, everything's just unfair? It really is. So you, if you haven't experienced it now, you will experience it later. You will be treated unfairly. And it, and it should be for the reason, you're okay. It should be for the reason that you are doing good and you're following in the steps of Christ. Now, submission isn't something that is earned. Some of us have the idea that we'll submit as long as we agree with our boss or a teacher or a master or as long as they are nice to us. And Peter here disagrees with us if we think that. He's telling us to learn to submit even to the boss or teacher that's unfair. And those of you who are in public school, hopefully not homeschool, <laughs> you probably have come across a teacher that's unfair towards you or that's harsh towards you. And if you're homeschooled, come talk to me because we'll figure that out, okay? I'll give you an illustration really quick. There was a secretary, a paralegal, and a partner in a big law firm, and they're walking through a park on their way to lunch when they find an antique oil lamp. They rub it, and, well, a genie comes out, you know, because that's what happens when you do that. And the genie says, I usually only grant three wishes, so I'll give each one of you just one. Me first, me first, says the secretary. I want to be in the Bahamas driving a speedboat without a care in the world. Poof, she's gone. Me next, says the paralegal. I want to be in Hawaii, relaxing on the beach with my personal masseuse, an endless supply of exotic foods, and the love of my life. And poof, she's gone. You're next, the genie says to the partner. And the partner says, I want those two back in the office right after lunch. You know, so sometimes life is just not fair. You might be dealt, you know, a boss or somebody that's over you that is harsh, that is mean, that mistreats you. And then you might see that your friend has somebody that is good and gentle. And you're going to be like, well, why can't I have that? L listen, life's just not fair. Just follow Jesus, okay? It's, it's simple. And so you, you will come to understand that Christianity and being a follower of Jesus it, it isn't all just, you know, puppy dogs and floating on clouds, okay? There is, and today's title is The Suffering Servant, that you will suffer. You will suffer. 
And I heard a great quote one time from John Piper. He, talked, he was talking to a group of college kids, and he said, listen, without, I can't, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I don't remember. It's a long, long message. But basically, his, his point of the message was, as followers of Jesus, we have to suffer because that is, in the, that is following the footsteps of Jesus. But secondly, how will people notice if we have, you know, the best car, if we have this money and this awesome job and all these things, they will think, the world will think that it's because of those things that we love God. But if we suffer and we love God, it's obvious that it's our love is for God and God himself, regardless of what we receive. And so you will learn to, you will have to learn to suffer because you will suffer. It's inevitable. It's coming. It has come. And people all around us will see that we're different when we submit in difficult circumstances, not when it's easy. Again, Peter has already told us that if we live a life that it's honorable, even when we're suffering, unbelievers around us will stand up and pay attention. Again, that's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But more importantly than other people noticing is what? God notices, right? And that's verse 19. Let's look at it. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Now the word commendable here, again, means to find favor. It has the idea of grace. That's what grace is, that we have been given an undeserved favor. And it's a good thing when we submit the way God wants us to. We find this grace that God gives us, that we find this favor in God. Now, as Christians, we don't just go out and seek opportunities to suffer so that we can experience God's grace. Like We experience God's grace regardless. But we find this favor that God, it's commendable towards God when we suffer, when it's unavoidable. When I think of the Christian servants in Asia Minor in this time, you know, and, and they are able to depend on God's grace through this harshness and this suffering, that they find the favor and commendation. It's almost like it's an honor or even a gift from God to suffer for the sake of our faith, right? And all of us, most of us would think, well, man, that's, that's not, I'm going to go to another church. This, <laughs> no, I want, I want the nice car and I want this and that. But listen, Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also, also to suffer for his sake. To suffer for his sake. You know, I, I want to say this really quick. There's a, there's a fine balance when it comes to following Jesus. You know, you might hear from other preachers and other churches where, you know, if you give your life to Christ, everything's going to be beautiful and glorious and all your problems are going to go away. Well, we know that doesn't happen, right? So that, that's not completely true. Well, then I don't want to go flip you know, on the other end of the spectrum that you're just, your life's just going to suck. It's going to suffer. You're going to be mistreated. Life's unfair. I, I, don't want you to under, I don't want you to think that's the case either, okay? Because David himself said it best in Psalm 23 that, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me uh, beside still waters and in green pastures, you know. But he also says in the same instance, you know, I follow him into the valley of the shadow of death, okay? So there's a fine balance between the two. That yes, I will suffer. I may not get all the things that my heart desires in the sense of the worldly things, but as I'm suffering and as I'm going through persecution, as I'm 
going through these trials, right, for the sake of Christ, I also have a peace, right? I also know that I'm loved. I also know that I'm, I'm, I'm full and I'm fulfilled and I don't have to search for anything else. So there's this fine balance as we follow Christ that, you know, it's not all bad and it's also not all good in the, in the sense that there is no bad, right? So if we believe in him, Philippians tells us, we will also suffer for his sake. Peter tells us in verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, right? Like, what credit is it if you go to school and you're doing wrong, you're talking while the teacher's talking, and then, you know, she treats you a certain way, and you're like, oh, man, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, like, <laughs> you deserve consequences for being bad. You're not suffering patiently, right? Same thing with your parents or your boss or anything. Look, you, Peter, or Peter's telling us that we are to walk an honorable life, that our conduct should be honorable, that there should be good works, that our morals and our standards should be right and well and lining up with the word of God. Now, when then we are treated harshly, when we haven't done wrong, that's when Peter then says, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Suffering, which is pleasing to God, must be innocent suffering. Peter has been speaking in in this section of scripture of righteous conduct in the midst of an unrighteous society. He's speaking here of a suffering which is the result of godliness, not the result of sin. Who would praise a man for enduring suffering that is a result of their wrongdoing? Nobody. So whenever we do good and we suffer for it, to endure that suffering patiently is commendable before God. Listen, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who loves God, like I, just like we do in this life with our parents, we want to please our parents. I want to please my father. And so if this is one thing that pleases him, and this is one thing that I can find a little bit more favor in, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to suffer patiently, enduring through the good that I am doing. But listen, it's hard. It is hard. I think our natural response, our natural inclination is to resist, to defend ourselves when we're in the right and we're being mistreated. We want to stand up for our rights and to appreciate why patiently enduring suffering while doing good is commendable before God. We have to ask the question, why is this conduct commendable before God? I think there's a simple answer. It's because you're beginning to look a lot like Jesus. In verse 21, it says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We were called for this very purpose. Christians are called to follow the example of Jesus. And Jesus, we know, suffered patiently when he was mistreated without a cause. And we should too. Again, Christ also suffered, and not just suffered, but he suffered for us, the word says. Peter's going to remind us of the example that Jesus has left for us. And I think if we're struggling with this scripture this morning, listen, if we're struggling with it today, it's because we're currently being mistreated for being a follower of Christ, for doing good, for standing up for what is right and moral. 
And I think we may have a, a struggle with, well, I don't want to continue in that. Listen, again, as an example that Jesus has given us, he says, as he was crucified and he hung on the cross, he said in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. I mean, imagine that. This is Jesus. Somebody who did no wrong and asked the Father to forgive them. That's an example that you and I are to follow in his steps. Again, the ver- end of verse 21, he says, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, when we were kids, <laughs> when you guys were kids, I'm sure you don't play this game anymore, but you used to play like follow the leader, right? You would, f- you would follow a leader. And that's the idea that we have as, as Christians. Now, over 20 times in the New Testament, Jesus says the words, follow me. You know, when he, when he went to his disciples, he said, you know, he didn't, he didn't try to bribe them with, you know, like, dude, your life's going to be better, you know, this and that. You know, he just said, follow me, right? And what did they do? They followed him, right? And then there were other disciples that wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, okay, if this is what you want to do, this is what you got to do. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give up my riches. I don't want to give up my parents, right? Like, my, my dad's almost dying. Well, Jesus is like, well, let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that story. There's, there's things that we hold on to this world that causes us to not follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And Jesus challenged every one of his disciples, listen, you have to give those things up if you want to follow me. And the only reason for that is because if you hold on to those things, you can't follow him. You can try, but you can't go in two different ways. You can't go down two different paths. And so our job is to follow the leader, to follow in his steps. How many of you guys have ever read the poem Footprints in the Sand? You guys, you guys know that one where, oh gosh, if I can remember, I don't have it on me. Um, this guy had a dream or something, and, and he was, I'm going to completely butcher this, and anyways, summarize it as much as I can. And he's walking on the beach, and there's two sets of footprints, and his life flashes before his eyes, and I guess he notices that the points, like, in, in the lowest time of his life, and, you know, I guess you know, when things were going rough and all that, there was only one set of footprints. And so then he asked God, okay, like, why did you abandon me in that time when I needed you most? And, and then God said, well, that's, you know, in those times, that's, that's when I carried you, right? So the idea is, you know, I didn't leave you. I just, those are my footprints. I'm saying this because what I like about the word of God is that it's not so much that we're walking together. It's that Jesus is walking, and there should always just be one set of footprints because we're stepping into the same footprints as him, that we are following Jesus. And I love the idea that he carries us and he protects us. I get that. I'm not saying the poem's wrong. It's, it's just a poem. But we are to follow him in his footsteps. He has left us an example, Peter said. And again, we should follow his steps. So if Jesus' example involved suffering, well, then we follow in his suffering. And we're going to have to look at some difficult things that Jesus would like us to do. But remember, he's already paved the way. So what do these footsteps look like? Well, look in verse 22. Who, and Peter here is going to be quoting uh, Isaiah chapter 53 pretty heavily uh, as we go through these next few verses. It says, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9 says, and they made his grave with the wicked 
but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth so we see peter quoting isaiah 53 9 here the point here is that when jesus suffered it wasn't because he had done something wrong and deserved it no he committed no sin he was perfect and it wasn't because he was some sort of fraud or imposter there was no deceit he suffered unfairly so how did jesus handle it when he was mistreated unfairly what did he do now, again, remember, not only was he perfect, we're not just talking about a perfect human being, but we're talking about also a perfect God who has an unlimited supply of power and can do anything that he wants. He literally spoke us into existence. He spoke everything into existence. That's power, right? Like, when we work out on Friday mornings, I can barely lift up a cinder block. So... In, com in comparison, man is nothing. And for Jesus to have this humility, for Jesus to have this meekness, for Jesus to have this submission, and to be treated unfairly, and then to respond in the way that he did, it shows us and it reveals us so much. In verse 23, it says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously to revile means to reproach to rail at to heap abuse upon it means to be verbally abusive to someone and if you have read, read the gospels you see how jesus was treated how he was mocked you know I, I think of myself when somebody tries to mock me and being sarcastic you know the first thing i want to do is say something back right say something witty you know, say something that would hurt them just as much as it hurt me. To revile back, but Jesus, in the example that he gave us in verse 23 again, is that he did not revile in return. Again, Peter's quoting Isaiah 53, and here it's verse 7. He says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. How many of us could say that? <laughs> How many of us could actually, if somebody was reviling us, how many of us could actually say, I did not open my mouth in return? I would probably say it's very select few in here. He did not open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Peter also tells us that he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Threaten means to, to menace. When Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, he told Peter that if he wanted to, he could request thousands of angels to help him. Do you remember that? Thousands. And remember how Jesus was taken in? I mean, it was, it was all his design, right? It was all done with just gentleness and love and just this meekness. It was like this power under control. And Jesus had power. And from the outside looking in, you would think, man, this guy's weak. He's just giving in. But no, Jesus had all the power and authority in the world. And he told Peter in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, he says, or do you, th and remember, because Peter is the one who was like, okay, grab the sword, cut the guy's ear off. Like, we're not going, we're not going down without a, without a fight, right? And Jesus is like, no, this isn't how we do things. Like, we just prayed, but you were asleep, so you didn't see that. He says, or do you think that I cannot, that I cannot now pray to my father and you provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? It's quite a few, guys. It's 
quite a few. He only needs, he doesn't even need any angels. And if he did need one, he would only need one. But we're talking, this is how much power he had, yet he did not use it. Have you guys seen Avengers? I'm not going to ask that question. I don't want to make you feel bad. So in Infinity War, Thanos, anybody know what his name means? Okay, you guys are not going to learn a single thing today but this. I know that for right now. In the Greek, it actually means death. Thanos means death. So remember, he's got this glove or this gauntlet. I don't know what it is. Snaps his fingers. Half the world is gone. Right? That's a stinking lot of power. Right? But then, you know, you get into the final movie in Endgame, and there's there's one last finger snap, and Iron Man snaps his fingers. You guys remember this? You've seen it. You were probably crying and clapping and being one of those weirdos. And, you know, his friends come back to life, and then, you know, all the enemies, you know, die and turn to dust. And, you know, I think of Jesus and just, like, the power that he had. And, like, that's not even a good comparison of the power that Jesus has. But Jesus has power to do anything besides what goes against his nature, like lying and sinning, okay? But he has the power to do anything. And yet he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. There was a good reason for it because he had you and I in mind. He had every, He even had the people who were spitting at him and ripping his beard out as he was carrying the cross on Calvary. He had them in mind. Even as he was hanging on the cross and he was going through the physical torture and then also the spiritual torture of being separated from his father and receiving the wrath that was rightfully due for you and I, he even had those people in mind when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. I mean, think about that. Think about that power that he had under control. And it was all because of love. You know, when Jesus comes back, he's going to show us his power. In Revelation 19.15, says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Again, Jesus with just a word. And yet he did not open his mouth. He did not open his mouth. Jesus trusted the Father with what was happening. He believed in him. He submitted to the Father. Again, we talked about it last week, how three times he prayed to God, you know, take this cup from me, let it pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If it's your will that I suffer, then so be it. Because your will is the right will. Jesus knew ultimately that God would make sure that everyone who needed to be judged would be judged. That's why Peter tells us that he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Do you believe that every person who causes you grief will one day be judged by God correctly and fairly? I mean, think about that. Who will do it righteously? You and I don't do it righteously. In verse 24, Peter goes on to say, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And he's quoting Isaiah 53, 5. He says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In verse 25, he says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I am so thankful that Jesus suffered because of verses 24 and 25. 
uh, you and I who were sheep going astray, that we were wandering. Being astray means to be, to be let off the, the path of, of truth, to wander. And yet Jesus saw that we were sheep without a shepherd, right? God saw that we were sheep without a shepherd, and he sent us Jesus to die on a tree, he says, on a tree, right? That's all the cross was. It was a tree, and it was a killing tool, nothing special. What was special was the man who was on the tree. And he dies on the tree for one reason, that we might live for righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. We were healed spiritually because we were dead. I mean, it's not even just like a healing. It's a healing that brings you to life, right? It's a healing that heals you from all the things that have affected you because of sin. The way that people have treated you in your life, whether it's your parents or somebody within your family that has mistreated you, has done wrong to you, whether it's somebody, you know, that is, is outside of your family, in school, it's friends. Maybe it's something that you have done personally. You're struggling with anxiety, depression, fear, whatever it is. Jesus heals us from that. He frees us from that because he gives us new life in him. If we accept the free gift of salvation and grace that he has given us. If we know and confess in our hearts and we repent and we turn to him. He's given us new life. There's blessings to submitting. Jesus lived a life of submission, not just to authorities, but to God himself. Remember we talked about that last week, that that's most important. When it comes to governing authorities, when it comes to masters, that we submit and obey God first and foremost. And 98% of the time, we will then submit and obey to the people that are over us here on earth. But the other 2% of the time, when it goes against God and it goes against obeying God, then we don't submit to them. We are to 100% of the time always fear and obey and submit to God. Jesus' submission in the face of suffering he endured resulted in blessings for us. We see this in verse 24, that he bore our sins. In verse 24 too, uh, we can live to righteousness, we are healed. And in verse 25, we return to God. We have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus' submission to the Father, he says, not my will be done, but your will be done, led to our salvation. He died so that we might be forgiven. Do you think that there is a benefit when you are treated unfairly by someone in authority over you and you choose to still submit? I'll close you guys with this. How many of you guys know the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? How many of you guys know the story behind it? Great. Hear me out, because it's really awesome. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. How many of you guys were at our Mathetes retreat? I told you guys it then. You don't remember? Come on. It was a long time ago. That was like five years ago. As a result, listen, so 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales. And as a result of this, many missionaries came to northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. In these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Mission spreading the gospel, uh, the message of love, peace, and the hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. 
This man's faith proved contagious, and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man instantly composed a song which became famous down the years, and he sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children, and you will lose your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And the chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man sang the final memorable lines. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. And he was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. And he wondered, why should this man, his wife and two children, children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. I, too, want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I, too, belong to Jesus Christ. And when the crowd and the village heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that amazing? And that gives me, and whether that's true or not, I don't know, but one, one example that goes with that is this truth. In the Word of God, the first martyr of the church was who? Stephen. We find that in Acts. And Stephen was a spirit-filled man of God. At one point, he was arrested by the Sanhedrin. He was condemned to death. And as he was, he, and he was actually able to speak to them, and he gave an, a wonderful account of the gospel, basically summarizing, you know, the whole Old Testament and showing them where they were wrong in their self-righteousness. He gave a brilliant witness of Jesus before he died. In fact, even Stephen sounded like Jesus with his final words as he was being stoned to death. He says in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And there was a crowd that was watching it. There was a crowd that was participating in this. And there was young one, man, one young man who was there. A very important man. Who was it? Saul. In Acts chapter 7, two verses prior in verse 58, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so going through this suffering... It was commendable to God, first and foremost, because it followed in the example of the footsteps of Jesus. But secondly, people were watching, and people are affected by it. They see the faith. They see that through your suffering, that it's your love is for Jesus because of who he is. It's not because of the things of this world. It's not because of anything else. It's not because of, you know, anything but him. And so that Saul, who they laid their clothes at his feet, became, obviously, as we know, Paul, the Apostle Paul. 
So you may not always be aware of who's watching you, but people are watching you. So I'll challenge you with this last question and we'll close. Will you follow in the footsteps of Jesus?